You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. Over the past couple of months, the whole world and how we all do things has changed. The veterinary profession is no exception. We talked to three vets from different parts of the world about how they are coping with life under COVID-19. Firstly, we meet up with one of our long-time contributors. I'm Dr. Scott Arnold. I am practice right now in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I just moved back from the University of Prince Edward Island, where I was working at the university as an emergency veterinarian. And here is the first effect on our profession. Scott was working at the Prince Edward Island Veterinary School. Prince Edward Island and a number of vet schools around the world have had to make major alterations to how they are training our up-and-coming colleagues. The first three years of school were told to go home fairly quickly in the process. The fourth-year students stayed around probably for another week after that because they thought they could do social distancing and since it was small numbers, it's a very small class. But in the end, they were also sent home. So as Scott has said, he is now working in an emergency clinic in Toronto. Let's meet our second vet. This time, although he has an English accent, is from my home, New Zealand. I'm Dr Alex. I'm a veterinarian down here in New Zealand and also run the website Our Pets Health. So I've been a companion animal vet since uh, 2006, splitting my time between the UK and New Zealand where I'm based now. And to fill the final seat, another old friend. Charlotte. My name's Charlotte. I am a small animal vet from Sheffield in the UK. Um, I own a mobile small animal business and we've been open for about three years now. So the first question to ask is, are vets still able to supply veterinary services? Charlotte. So we are still supplying vet services. We are on emergency work only. Um, when this all started over here, um, the UK government gave a list of key workers um, Small animal vets aren't on the key worker list. Um, That's been reserved for farm vets and the meat hygiene service. Um, But we are still allowed to provide an emergency service. It's up to our discretion as to what we consider to be an emergency. So it's up to each individual vet practice to decide a list of cases they will see and cases they won't see. Um, And anything that's a non-emergency, we are still giving advice to. We are doing phone consultations and video consultations instead. So how about Ontario, Canada, Scott? The CVO, which is our governing body here, got a little um, imaginative and let us started doing things like telephone consultations. Uh, you know, if you had seen the pet in the last year, you could renew prescriptions without seeing the pet. Uh, they were much more lenient on uh, doing telemedicine so people could get the care for their pets without actually having to bring the pet in for that annual physical exam. And close to home, Alex. In New Zealand, we've been at at level four lockdown and we're about to go into level three. So the level four meant that really it was emergency services, urgent care only. Now, if we think of an emergency, I think of life-threatening situations, but that's not everything that was included. So we could still provide care where there was going to be a welfare problem were treatment not initiated. So that's a little bit of a grey area and while we did get some guidance from our governing bodies and um, various other organizations you know there's still a little bit of a gray area and it could be that uh, an animal was uh, just a little bit sick but they had the potential to get really sick if treatment wasn't instigated so we could still provide that 
care without them getting into really dire straits and, and their welfare being compromised. As you will have already picked up, we have a couple of different types of practice here. Scott and Alex are both in conventional bricks-and-mortar clinics, whereas Charlotte is offering a home call service. Obviously both facing some of the same, but also differing issues that need mitigating to supply a safe service. If we have to see people, um, we are seeing dogs outside. So we're trying to go into front or back gardens, avoiding walking through the premises um, and seeing them in the open air with clients staying either a few metres back or inside their house if possible. Um, It's difficult because doing that solo means you've got no one to hold the animals. So you're trying to hold them and examine them at the same time, which is fine if it's a well-behaved dog, but it can be very difficult. Um, If we can't do it like that, um, myself and my other vet have to meet up and look at them together and that goes with blood sampling and things like that as well we have to team up um cats are being left in baskets on clients doorsteps we phone them when we're outside they pop the cat on the doorstep we collect it we look at it in our van and then we medicate it and take it back to them leave it back on the doorstep and they then collect it um and similarly we're not we're not doing any um in-person payments all the payments are over the phone or via email invoice instead and we put the same question to alex to try and minimise the risk to myself and the veterinarians, to the other veterinary staff and to our clients as well. Just as importantly, we're trying to minimise that face-to-face contact. So in the first case, that's triaging over the phone um, with the reception staff, with the nursing staff um, or with the veterinarian. And it might be that we've actually started doing some video calls as well. So kind of practicing more of a telemedicine where we can actually see what's going on. So if it's a lameness or, you know, there's a wound or there's something that we can actually physically see, um, then video may be that that's good enough to make that decision that, well, we can try this treatment without having a hands-on examination, or we can make that decision that, no, you do actually have to come into the clinic for that examination. They are waiting in the car park. They'll then kind of approach the doors. They'll be spoken to through those shut doors. Um, or if they've already been assessed over the phone, then certain questions will be asked. So we're assessing whether they've had um, any contact with anyone with COVID, whether they're displaying any symptoms, whether they've had a history of overseas travel, which is a really big factor, um, certainly here in New Zealand, where the community transmission seems to be really low. Um, and we're asking whether they have been following the rules of uh, the lockdown. So have they been isolating themselves from other people? So they're answering all those questions. If they answer those in the safe kind of version of that answer, then we are getting them to come into the clinic. They're placing their um, pet down in a designated area. Um, and and we've got a lead attached to the wall for the dogs to be attached to. Um, they're then leaving and going back to their car. The Their pet will be taken into the consult room and will be examined by the vet with a nurse um, to to help hold on to to that animal. Um, other clinics I know they are actually get collecting the dog from or the cat from the car um, the, directly because um, they don't have. Just it depends on how the clinic's set up. Really, some places will have a, a vestibule type area where they can kind of leave their animal. Uh, so once that's all done, we're then talking to the client on the phone to get a history, to discuss our findings, to come up with a plan and a treatment strategy, that kind of thing. And then once everything's done and medications dispensed, you kind of play that in reverse and and 
get their pet back to the owner um, by yeah, leaving it in that area and then it's being collected. And then we're obviously um, encouraging people to pay with contactless card payments uh, or internet banking is another way, again, just to minimize touching surfaces and all that kind of thing with um, pin pads and the like. If things aren't emotional enough at the moment, let's pour petrol on the fire. Euthanasias are never easy at the best of times. How are these handled during a human health emergency? Scott and Canada first. So what we've done is we do, first of all, we there have to be a regular client of, of, of a clinic or if you're an eMERGE clinic, you, you come, um, you discuss on the phone before you come why you're putting your pet to sleep. Um, you know, and is now the time that we can't wait till your regular clinic's open? That's fine. Once they arrive, all the paperwork is done before the owner or the animal comes into the clinic, unfortunately. Once the paperwork is all done, we're bringing the pet in, placing our uh, IV catheters, and then we're bringing one member of the family into the, those people have to wear a mask, have to wear gloves, um, only can go into one room and leave through one room. Um, and that's the best we can do. So in a similar sort of a practice, how about you, Alex? We are for dogs. We are popping catheters into, um, but we're, so we're taking the dog as though we were examining them. We're placing a, an intravenous catheter and attaching that to a long uh, drip line so that we can then administer that um, final injection at a distance. What we're able to do then is we're able to take the dog or give the dog back to the owner uh, where they can go into the car. And we're then able to to give the injection at a distance with the owner uh, kind of being able to to pet that dog and be be very much present. So that allows yeah, allows that to happen for cats. That's a little bit harder just because the how they sit in cars and, and all that kind of thing. And so we have done that a few times, but it may be a case that we maybe place the catheter, we maybe then say uh give the cat back to the owner to say their goodbyes before then taking the cat back into the clinic. Now let's spare a thought for Charlotte, who, as you can remember earlier, is doing most of her calls by herself. Euthanasias, uh, it's a it's a tricky one. Um, we're still providing euthanasias. Um, the problem we're having is that obviously a lot of euthanasias are collapsed dogs. Um, a lot of our clients are too elderly to move them. So in those situations, we are going into the house, but we have to wear full PPE. So we're wearing the, we've only got the FP2 masks, but we're wearing those masks, aprons, overshoes, gloves um, and, and goggles um, to go inside the houses and, and do the euthanasia there. We're making use of sedative agents to sedate all of the animals first so that we can go in, give a sedative injection, walk away, let the owner fall asleep with the pet um, and then we go back in and do the IV with them stood two metres away and we feel that that's a good in between so that they've been able to, to say goodbye, the pet's fallen asleep and then they can just watch from a distance as the last bit's carried out. In these extraordinary times, I guess it begs the question as to how the clients are coping and relating to the change in the way that we are doing things. It's a mixed bag, to be honest. A lot of them are very supportive and understand exactly what we're doing. Um, I've had a lot of abuse about not doing vaccinations and particularly not doing puppy and kitten vaccinations. Um, but most vets were singing from the same hymn sheet on this. And we have similar comments from Scott. Well, it's funny. There's two types of people. There's the people that understand how serious this is and understand totally about curbside service. And yeah, we're putting off vaccines and yeah, we're putting off stays and neuters and quite okay. Then you get the people who have no clue how serious this is and they're yelling and getting angry at us that we can't provide, you know, their, their, you know, six year old dog with vaccines. So- 
So how does this sort of behaviour affect the morale of the staff? That brings the morale down of the clinic for sure, because if you deal with three or four of those in a row, it really upsets you. But most of us are coping quite well. So how are your staff holding up, Charlotte? I think all, all of my staff have been amazing. However, the ones that aren't at work are feeling bored. Um, they want to be helping and they can't. Um, my other vet who's working with me is working extremely hard. We're trying to do multiple people's jobs by ourselves. Um, and it, it is getting difficult, if I'm honest. But we, we can't bring anyone else back to work yet because it's too dangerous for us and for our clients. So we just have to keep going like this for as long as possible. But um, my, my whole team have been brilliant. And I think the ones that aren't working are just desperate to, to come back to work and help us out. And they also want a job to come back to. And that's their other worry that depending on how things go, um, hopefully we'll be able to keep going. But that's the, their worry as well. Is there going to be a job for them to, to come back to still? Do you foresee any ongoing issues with the health of our patients due to the way that we're handling their cases at the moment? Scott? I don't think so. You know, all the emergencies are being seen. If you have a vomiting dog, we're accommodating you and trying to get you in. You know, you have that sick cat or whatever, we're accommodating and trying to get in. And Alex, just remembering that here in New Zealand, our four, five-week lockdown is starting to be eased back. So if we think of some of the things that we um, maybe are not seeing, uh, routine vaccinations, while they don't suddenly stop working if they're due on one day, the next day they don't suddenly stop working. There's a you know a bit of a grace period with dental disease, with other things. You know, if waiting four weeks might not be the ideal thing, but I don't think they'll suddenly have got to a stage where there'll be a massive welfare implication. And I think. Hopefully, if it stays short, we're not going to see a big explosion in things like parvovirus or um, unwanted kittens. So to finish up, with the new way of working we have had foisted upon us, will there be changes in the way veterinarians play their trade in future? Scott? I'm going to be always social distancing. I won't be shaking people's hands much anymore, to be honest with you. You know, the fist bump or the, you know, the air bump or whatever. I, I, don't, I think I'll always be doing social distancing. I won't be... You know, I won't be maybe as compassionate as I used to be, you know, long-standing clients where you're quite comfortable with giving a hug and stuff. I probably won't be doing that anymore, unfortunately. Um, you know, so I think that's going to change. I think we're going to be more impersonal than we used to be. And I think that's just a fact of life now. Things change. You uh, Telemedicine, I don't think it will be as popular as we think after this is over because I still like the personal touch. I still like seeing pets and I still like, you know, I think people like coming to the vet clinics. So I think right now telemedicine is pretty popular, but I don't think that's going to stay that way after this is over. And Alex, maybe you see things slightly differently. Telemedicine is a huge developing technology. We're starting to see that more and more in the human health side where doctors are jumping on, on video calls. Um, and I think traditionally veterinarians and veterinary practices have been quite behind when it comes to technical innovation. Uh, and I think this could maybe show that it's something that is possible. I think there's definite limitations to it, uh, especially if it's dealing with a, a patient that I haven't seen before, then actually not having that physical examination makes a diagnosis virtually impossible to make. But when it comes to dealing with maybe those uh and the the six monthly checkups for a repeat medication, if it's a long term condition, uh, check ins like that. I think there's the potential that that could become more of a a remote video experience. 
um, or maybe triaging. We're using more videos after hours. So rather than having people call in and speaking on the phone, we're doing that over video. And again, that kind of a picture can paint a thousand words and will allow us to triage things, not necessarily make that diagnosis, but to, to say, well, no, you do need to be seen now at midnight or no, things can wait until we open up at, at you know, at 8.30 in the morning. So yes, I think there's, there's definitely a potential that that will impact things, but I don't think we're going to get to a stage where video in particular, you know, takes over our day-to-day practice, but it definitely has a role. And I think that's, that's only a good thing if we use, use everything appropriately. And this is, I guess, a trial run. It's a bit of a, a baptism by fire because it's not something that most of us have done before. Uh, so it's a pretty steep learning curve sometimes. And finally, a different perspective from Charlotte, who has previously told us how telemedicine isn't really part of her arsenal at the moment. I think remote prescribing will become more common. Um, I, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, we've never been allowed to prescribe remotely before. We are now if we have um, no other option. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, there's been a push over here to get remote prescribing um as a as a general uh, general rule for some time, but it's it's not been allowed, and vets have been generally against it. But I think this situation has made us all realise how important it can actually be. Um, so I suspect that after this, some form of remote prescribing and telemedicine will still be allowed over here. But that will be a decision for the Royal College to make. A big thank you to Scott, Alex, and Charlotte. I take my hat off to you and all of the other veterinary health professionals who are putting their health on the line for your pets. The mantra here in New Zealand at the moment is to be safe and to be kind. Please say thank you to your pets carers. Finally in this section, at the start of the interview, Alex mentioned his podcast and website. You can find me at ourpetshealth.com. Um, I also have a podcast, so that's Call the Vet. So that's a weekly show where I answer uh, different people's questions about their, their dog or their cat's health and, and help in whatever way I can. And to make it easier to find Alex, I have included a link on our new website, which is vetpodcast.weebly.com. Kia kaha, be strong. And now it's time for Better Work Stories. There used to be a program on television called Kids Say the Darndest Things. I think the story possibly could have made it. This is quite a long time ago and I was travelling in the country with one of my young daughters. Passing a dairy farm, she spotted a bull riding a cow. The obvious question followed, Daddy... What is that bull doing to that cow? I thought to myself, the easy answer to a five-year-old is to say, nothing dear, and to quickly change the subject. But living in the country and being a vet, with my children being around birth and death and the like from a really young age, I thought this would be the ideal opportunity to discuss the birds and the bees. I did just that, with what I thought was crystal clear clarity. I explained the male and the female thing, the egg, the sperm, and that is where you come from, blah, blah, blah. I thought I'd done a really good job. Being very pleased with myself, we changed the subject to something totally unrelated. She didn't talk much for the next couple of minutes, and I could see she was obviously troubled. She then turned in a seat and she looked at me and said, Daddy, wouldn't the bull squash mum? (laughs) 
You have been listening to the Vet Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, iTunes, Google Play, or bookmark us in your favourite podcast player. To contact us, message through Facebook or email vetpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.